We all have been in the situation where we are sweating it out, hoping Santa's elves get our packages here on time. Worry no more. Our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have all of us in mind. They have an excellent selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. And they are doing their part in keeping their staff employed during these tough times. Please do yours in supporting local businesses. Not only is shipping free on everything, but this week only, for all of our customers, we have an amazing promotion. 50% off all Seahawks merchandise. Seattle Shirt Company have it all. Hats, jerseys, hoodies, and more. All the stars from yesterday to today are included. From LeBron James back to Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Deion Sanders, Jerry Rice, and many more. Have you seen the latest Seattle Kraken NHL gear? Just head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BELIEVE, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 50% off all Seahawks merchandise. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network. Always bringing unique conversations, players, coaches, broadcasters. Today is a front office executive in a couple different roles uh, during his seven years in the NBA. I find him to be a very interesting follow on social media. He's got some hot takes. He's also got some tremendous insight onto how an NBA coaching staff and NBA front office truly work. None other than Brian Oringer. Brian, how are you doing these days? I'm good, Dan. How are you? Things are great. I can't complain too much, uh, seeing that the NBA season is is just now picking up. Uh, College basketball is, I don't want to say it's in full swing, but it's getting there. You're going to have some um, bumps and bruises on the road. But all things being said, we're playing basketball, and I can't complain too much. Got to love it. I'm I'm trying to watch every single preseason game in full, so I'm about – 13 or 14 games in, so forgive me if I'm a little exhausted. But <laughs> No worries whatsoever. You're a guy that you just mentioned you, you watch a lot of uh, the preseason games, and now once the regular season kicks off, uh, I'm sure you're going to watch as many as you can. You became accustomed to that because six of your seven years in the NBA, uh, you spent, uh, I believe, as a video coordinator. That might be – the hardest job in the NBA, but it also might be the job that leads to the most knowledge of the game. 
how, how do you view that position for most people that don't truly understand that role? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. I, I, I tell people it's almost like getting an MBA in basketball. I mean, you're just living and breathing every detail, uh, every second of the day, you know, from opponent prep to tendencies to player development. You're in every single coach's meeting. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not a surprise that, that Spo and Vogel and Budenholzer, all these coaches came from the video tree because really, you know, that your job is to watch – three, four NBA games a day and you get a tremendous feel for the league and tendencies and how coaches coach and so on and so forth. So it, it was an amazing education in the game for me. And I, I just learned uh, an unbelievable amount of, of basketball from working with, you know, three different head coaches in DC and, and so many different great assistants and players as well. You mentioned the three different head coaches uh, in DC. Who were those coaches? And did each one of those coaches have a different um, tendency to want to see things in film when you presented him different clips? Yeah, so uh, my first year was uh, Flip Saunders, the late Flip Saunders um, was around him for a little bit. And then Randy Whitman took over that team midseason and then ended up sticking around for the next four or five years. And then I had a season with Scott Brooks. And yeah, I mean, all three of them had pretty uh, different approaches. I mean, Whitman was was the type that he, you know, he would tell you, oh, uh, back six years ago, they ran that elbow twist on the left side of the floor in the third quarter, just an unbelievable savant. And I, I learned so much about, you know, play calls, defensive strategy, things like that from him. Uh, Brooks, more of a, of a player's coach type, you know, he was a little bit less intense in terms of really diving deep into the film you know, preparing guys maniacally. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was a good education to learn that obviously there's different ways to do it. You know, so some people want coaches that, uh, you know, obsess over the X's and O's in every detail. And sometimes you need more of the CEO type who can relate better to today's player. So I got to kind of see that from a, a few different angles and, and Flip and his son, Ryan, you know, who's the head coach of the Timberwolves now is around him a little bit in DC too. So uh, Sam Cassell just had you know some awesome basketball minds I got to be around. Uh, you mentioned Sam Cassell he was one of my favorite teammates that I've ever had we spent a season together with the Clippers um, but when you mentioned coaches as my, maybe being savants uh, I felt that that was Mike Dunleavy when I played for him as a coach. Um, he, he had a tremendous knowledge he could recite plays that had happened years before uh, and not only was he talking about maybe two plays ahead but sometimes it was four or five plays ahead where you would get the defense thinking one thing to take it away knowing he was really setting it up for a different play down the road who would you think or who in your estimation are the best basketball minds in the NBA after having been around it so closely um you know you hear so many people talk about it. I mean I'd say for sure you know, just in the NBA as a whole, LeBron is the first guy that comes to mind. I, I, you know, so many coaches, so many players say he's just the smartest player they've ever witnessed. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but there was a good one about uh, they were playing the Raptors and Patrick Patterson, I think, forgot one of the Raptors plays and LeBron actually walked him through, through the Raptors play like he knew the Raptors playbook better than their own players. So, yeah, I mean, the stories you hear about him are unreal. Um, you know, in terms of my own personal experiences, Coach Whitman, like I said, was was incredible. I mean, you know, I think every year with him, we had like a top five or ten defense. And that's, as you know, you know, really hard to do in the NBA, especially 
uh, we had such a poor culture, you know, when he got there, but uh, he, he was an incredible preparation guy. You know, we would watch hundreds of clips every single morning and all the coaches meetings. He was really, really detail oriented. Um, and then last one from my experience, I'll, I'll say John Wall also. I mean, he, he the same way like Whitman has a in, incredible photographic uh, savant-like basketball mind and, and is really the same way where it's almost freakish how he could be saying, oh, yeah, I remember that play from six years ago <laughs> where I, I finished this up and under. Like, it's unreal how, how much he remembers. And, you know, and you see that reflected in terms of his, his floor vision and just, uh, you know, the beautiful uh, brand of basketball he plays when he's healthy. Yeah, I hope he is back healthy. So far, all reports out of Houston show that, you know, he's come out of that Achilles injury looking pretty good. Um, so fingers crossed for him that, that he's going to be all right and he's going to have a, a productive season. Spent some time as a video coordinator, but you also spent time as a advanced scout in the NBA. And I had a chance my first year out of playing, I, w I spent time as a player development coach and split it with the front office of the Blazers, kind of learning a, a number of different uh, roles and what they entail to see if that was the path I was going to take. And I spent a couple days as an advanced scout and I learned a newfound respect for that position in the NBA. Um, video coordinators know a lot. Advanced scouts are right behind them. What is an advanced scout's role in the NBA? Because I don't think most average fans know truly how teams prepare for an opponent. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd say, you know, you're right that the, the guys that are full-time advanced scouts, they had a much harder job than I did. That, that's the toughest job in basketball. I remember our advanced scout would some, some months he would see, you know, 28 or 29 games in 28 different cities. I mean, it, it's just absolutely relentless uh, travel and nuts. Uh, so what I did was, you know, regional advanced scout. I kind of just covered like the East Coast. I'd go to games in Boston, games in New York, games in D.C., uh, for a couple teams, so it was a little bit lighter on the travel side. But, yeah, I mean, that job is, is crucially important to a coaching staff, too. I mean, you, you know, you're almost like a, a spy. Uh, it's totally legal. You know, you, you get a credential. You sit on press row sometimes. Um, but, you know, your job is to get every single play call that if 10 minutes Brad Stevens says thumb down three or, you know, horns twist, whatever it is, you got to get every call. Uh, and in some arenas it can be pretty difficult, as, as you might have seen, um, you know, the Knicks at Madison Square Garden literally just put you in the stands. They give you a seat in the arena. Brooklyn, you're sitting in like the upper level. So some arenas, it's great. Some you sit, you know, right there and can see pretty well. And then some of them you're behind 10,000 screaming fans. And it's it's really, really hard to to do the job well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that job gives you great appreciation and, and also – you know, you really have to know your stuff. You have to have some idea of, of the calls and the tendencies going in because, you know, if you just go to watch the game straight up and don't know the stuff already, I mean, you'll have no idea what any of the calls are, really. I can only imagine in the current NBA setup, both in the bubble, right, when COVID hit and they restarted last year, as well as this year where uh, they're seemingly going to play with no fans, depending on anything uh, crazy happening uh, over the next few months. Have you heard anything about what that role in the N NBA might entail this year? Or is it all going to be over film? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's definitely uh, been heavily impacted. And I know a few of the guys that do like the regional are, are basically 
out of a job now, you know, with obviously nobody really being let in and traveling. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of teams are handling it internally, which is probably letting like some of the video guys, like you said, get a little bit of that experience and, and some assistant coaches having to step up and do more than they usually do. Executives, they always have a certain way. I, I'm sure that they look at the game, as do coaches and video coordinators and, and analytics guys. You've, as mentioned, you've got experience in the analytics as well as the advanced scout side with the video coordinator uh, positions too. Is there one particular set of skills and or maybe one particular set of analytics that you really look to when you're evaluating a player or a game or a team? To be honest, I'm not the biggest uh, analytic guy in the world. I mean, I know, you know, it certainly has its place. And, you know, you need eyes, ears, and numbers approach. It has to be part of what you look at. But I'm much more into the, the eye part, you know, even the ear part in, in terms of, you know, talking to coaches, talking to scouts, knowing what a guy's makeup is, how, you know, how hard are they going to work quite simply. And, yeah, I mean, that's kind of mostly the lens that I, I evaluate the game through. And it, it's funny because I actually came into it. Um, what inspired me to work in sports in the first place was the book Moneyball, you know, which is obviously all about the analytics and baseball. And I, I was a huge junkie of that stuff, uh, you know, in high school. But when I got to the NBA and, and even college basketball, to be honest, that's when I really realized, you know, there's so many coaches and people that have been in the game for 25, 30 years. They're basketball lifers. They live and breathe everything about the game. And, you know, numbers can help to an extent. And there's a few good insights you get. But for the most part, it's a it's a game of feel. It's a game of togetherness. You know, it's a game of competitiveness. You know, there's so much in basketball that just can't be measured in a stat sheet. Um, so I think you just really have to watch an unbelievable amount of film, like I said. And, and that's how, you, you know, when you really study guys, hopefully you get a glimpse of you know, what they can bring to an NBA team. And then beyond that, it's it's on them. And, you know, how hard are you going to work if you're a, a second-round pick like Jokic and Draymond? You know, how, how motivated are you going to be to lose 60 pounds like Jokic did and become a, you know, potential Hall of Famer? I mean, so much of that stuff is so hard to predict because, um, you know, you just don't realize, like, the motivation level of these guys. It so much comes down to how hard they're going to work once they reach the next level. I completely subscribe to that phrase you used, eyes, ears, and numbers, and I've used that a number of times. Uh, I, I do believe in analytics, but I, I also think that too many times these days um, that becomes the be-all, end-all for too many coaches and or uh, people evaluating the game. So I loved, to hear, I loved hearing your description of how all three of those come together. But you're someone who, who continues to follow the game really closely, even though you're not in uh, – in an organization right now. Do you have long-term goals to get back in to the NBA? I don't actually. I mean, uh, you know, I, I definitely loved it. It was awesome being with a team and, a, you know, the experience was amazing. But, um, you know, as you know, it's, it's just a, a relentless lifestyle and you have to be willing to pretty much uh, forego a lot of the family side and, and be on the road for seven months a year and willing to move around the country at the drop of a hat. So. Yeah, I mean, my goals right now are, are to stick with the media side. Well, you're doing a, a tremendous job with some of the breakdowns that I've seen on social media explaining the nuances of the game and some of the um, characteristics of some certain players in different in situations in a game, and I really enjoy it. In your estimation now, what team in the NBA has made the best offseason moves this year? 
Um, I, I really like what Philadelphia did. I mean, I, I think they, uh, you know, had to surround Simmons with a lot more shooting, you know, going out and getting Seth Curry and Danny Green, you know, really uh, fixes that problem to a huge extent, unloading uh, Al Horford's contract, which was one of the worst in the league. Um, I was a big fan of, of, you know, them getting Dwight, obviously gives them some toughness at the, at the five spot behind Embiid which they needed. Um, I thought they had a great offseason. I thought the Atlanta Hawks getting uh, Bogdanovich, getting Gallinari, I think are two tremendous pieces that uh, will make them a playoff team in the East. Um, uh, who else? You know, I, I thought the Lakers obviously getting Harrell uh, was a steal. I, I thought he's a guy that's deserving of a max contract or, you know, somewhere close to that down the line. And for them to get him for nine or 10 million, whatever it was, was, was incredible and you know to upgrade the point guard position with with Schroeder um Atlanta I forgot to mention obviously Rondo as well his leadership is off the charts and Chris Dunn uh, another competitive point guard so I think those are the teams that kind of stood out to me um you know of kind of taking the next step forward how about best young coach in the NBA hmm that's a good question um you know, what's really impressed me lately is watching James Borrego actually in Charlotte. That group just, they play really hard. They play together. They play fast. Um, you know, it was a team that I was honestly expecting to win like 15 games or something last season. And then they were on pace to like, you know, they, they were in the 30, 35 range. I mean, they were very competitive. He did a great job developing Graham. Um, you know, obviously with LaMelo, they'll be really fun to watch this year. So I think he does a great job. I think, uh, you know, Nick Nurse is obviously one of the best in the league, if not the best. And, um, you know, you have to mention Brad Stevens in any coaching conversation. So, yeah, those are probably the, the standouts to me. How about because you watch the game so closely and you watch it from a different lens and you're also active on social media. So, unfortunately, you're going to hear a lot of opinions from fans who, quite frankly, don't know the game in depth as well as you do. Is there a player in the league that that you feel is unbelievably good yet undervalued in the average fan's eyes? Yeah, I think uh, for a long time, DeMar DeRozan's kind of been that guy to me. You know, he's another guy that, um, you know, is really a victim of the all the analytics stuff and fans that think the game is just all about shooting threes and if you can't do that you're like worthless but meanwhile he's a guy that's won you know 50 games almost every single year of his career and, and been a huge part of incredible Toronto teams for so long and then even in San Antonio first year there uh you know Murray ends up being out for the season everybody thinks they'll be terrible and I think they won 48 games uh his first year there um so you know he's just a guy that that impacts the game incredibly with with a great mid-range game, obviously, post-ups, uh, you know, gets downhill, makes plays for his teammates. Uh, I think the analytics have, you know, done a really unfortunate disservice that, um, you know, obviously threes are important. And, yes, if he could hit threes really well, then maybe he'd be a champion. But there's nothing wrong with being a, a consistent top 20-ish player in the league, a consistent all-star. Um, you know, and I think he's had a tremendous career, and I hope he finds a way to – at some point, get on a, a team that's a perfect fit for him so you can get over the top in the playoffs as well. With this ISO podcast, we have a, a lot of uh, coaches in the state of Washington as well as across the country and student athletes that listen. Um, and we, I've had a number of coaches and, and 
people that have moved into the front office side on this uh, podcast series. And I always try to ask the question, how did you get into working in the NBA? Because I've had a lot of people ask me, well, how do I get into coaching? Uh, whether it's college or NBA, how do I get into, you know, being a video coordinator? What would your best advice be? Uh, persistence, grit. I mean, I, you know, the same things that probably go into being a great athlete at times and the work ethic side, I think are the, the way you get in uh, my personal story. I mean, I, like I said, in high school, I actually wanted to work in baseball. I interned for the nationals when I was in high school, I kind of helped out on the, on the baseball side. And then when I got to college, I realized I just basketball is my true love. I loved everything about the game. Um, I just honestly emailed one of the young assistant coaches at the University of Maryland and got to help out as a as a student manager type for my first couple of years. And then going into my junior year of college, I I actually emailed Tommy Shepard, now the GM of the Wizards. He was the assistant at the time. Honestly, just asking if I could pick his brain, take him to lunch, learn from him. I wasn't looking for a job or anything. Um, and I happened to mention, you know, the programs I used in Maryland, what kind of stuff I'd been doing. And he said at the time there was one guy working in the Wizards video room working 120-hour weeks, and he desperately needed help. Uh, so that helped me, you know, intern for him my last couple of years of college and then become full-time right out of it. So, you know, I tell people, obviously cast a wide net, but uh, so much of what I saw, especially in my position, I mean, I, I got – you know, hundreds of resumes a week, you know, from super qualified people. I mean, lawyers, business people wanting to quit their job and come work for you for free. And at some point, it's just a, a blur of, of paper. You know, you just see nonstop resumes all day. Nothing really stands out. Um, so my advice to people is always try to hone in, you know, hone in on a couple organizations have where maybe you have some sort of connection and, and have a relationship. Ask if you could take them to lunch. Ask if you could pick their brain about whatever, um, you know, those are the things that stood out to me and I think could help more people get their foot in the door as opposed to just kind of the cold calling, you know, blind sending your resume out to a hundred different people. Tremendous insight on how uh, to get your foot started to open that door because that's a difficult journey uh, and you cracked it. You had a, a heck of a run and now you're, you're starting off on the media world. I wish you nothing but the best in that. And Brian, I, I appreciate you joining. Thanks uh, for your time, the insight. And for today's episode of the ISO, our guest was Brian Oringer. Thanks again for joining. Sorry, you froze on me again. But thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks again. I appreciate it. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.